All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there is a cure for comparison. There is freedom from every snare of this world, from every loud voice that says this and that and be this and be that and do this. Oh, there is freedom. And in that freedom, there is peace. Whatever you're dealing with, wherever you live, in any storm, in any situation, that is Christianity and that is God's will for us. Amen? Well, let's look at this. Let's learn some new things in the Word of God. I know I did this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read 11 through 22. Peter, um, excuse me, Paul's analogy of the body of Christ, and he's very specific with his language. Starting in verse 12, I think I have 11 on there. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. There's lots of us, but oh, all one in Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. Speaking of the spirit of God that renews us, that brings regeneration from a dead man to a live man. And speaking of water baptism, which all Christians need to be. Verse 14, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, that's comparison. Is it not, therefore, of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it, therefore, not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? Where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, truly, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Again, comparison. Nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these he bestows greater honor. Praise God. All right, so verse 14 says, there's many members, that this thing is so much bigger than you can comprehend, even us in our Uh, advanced society being able to look at 6,000 years of history and all those that came before us. It's even so much bigger than that. You know, the, the, the angelic beings and everything concerning the kingdom of God, I think is beyond our comprehension. I think if he, if he opened the veil up all the way, your every molecule in your body would probably explode. That's, that's not, I don't know that for sure. I'm guessing. Okay. (laughs) That's not doctrine. How big are these? How big is this though? So he says, it's like a body. We're many members in one body. Well, I thought, okay, as the Lord's teaching me, what is, he's asking me a question. If he's saying the kingdom of God is like a human body, tell me about the human body. I went to the smallest thing in the human body that's alive, cells. Now, I know there are smaller things like atoms are made up of all that, but that's subatomic and that's beyond my ability. So if you're in science, go for it. But cells are the smallest living thing, individual in the human body, Right? So how many cells are in the human body? Now, obviously, there are more cells in uh, NFL linemen than there are in a horse jockey. There's just one's bigger than the other. I have more cells in some areas. I wish I had more in other areas. Just the way it is. It's all right. Go to heaven. He'll fix it all. So 
how many cells are in the human body? How big is this thing? How many of y'all think cells are in the human body? Millions? Billions? Well, look at this picture. I was a little surprised to know that there are around 37 trillion, with a T, cells in the human body. Constantly um, being born, being created, and dying at the same time. Very much like us on this planet. You have wonderful older people in glory going to Jesus, being met in eternity, and new people being birthed into the kingdom of God in this moving, functioning, living thing called the body of Christ. And here we get to represent some of it. You represent, represent it individually, as a family, as a couple, as this body here, as the body of Christ in Acadiana, around the world currently, both past, now we're present, in the future, the incalculable angels, the seraphim, all the created beings. Oh, 37 trillion Maybe that's the number. It's, we have no idea how big it is. So you need to think, when the Bible says, now that you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you need to understand that this thing is big enough to bring all the glory due to the God of the universe. His name is Jesus. So if I have to guesstimate how much glory and honor is due His name, we're going to put it in the trillions. Amen? Put it in the trillions because that's how much is due his holy name. Oh, that wasn't even in the notes. Thank you, Lord. And this is the amazing thing about all of these cells. About 80% of them are made up of blood cells. 25 trillion are blood cells. The Bible was not off scientifically or theologically when it said the life is in the blood. Amen? Your eternal life is in his blood, and this life is in the blood of all the bone and the, I shouldn't say hair cells, the, the bone cells, the muscle cells, the, all the organ cells. 80% are blood cells, red blood cells. Truly, life is in the blood. So when the Bible says, and I encourage you, come on, we're Bible readers, are we Bible readers? When the Bible says, in fact, the whole body is, is not one member, but many, stop. And say, well, I'm going to Google about the body. Because when I read that, I'm like, oh, I'll get some understanding on the greatness of God. I learned that last week or two weeks ago when the Bible said, look at the birds. It's like, oh, wow. Well, let's learn something from the Word of God. Let's look at this. Verse 15, you've got notes there. Here we go. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. We all agree that's comparison, right? That is a comparison. God, Paul is using the analogy of the, bo the body. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand. Everybody likes the hands, right? Come on. We like a high five. Come on now. I can do this because he's a hugger. Come on. You wanna, he likes a good bro hug. Josh likes a good hug. Oh, man. Josh, Josh he's a hugger. I, I knew it. When he, when he sat up there in the front, I was like, this is you, Lord. You want this analogy. <laughs> Come on. We like a pat on the back. Huh? A good... Back rub, thank you, Lord. We all like the hands. But the analogy there is because the what? The foot, the less than, if I could just be a hand. Everyone wants a handshake from Pastor Stephen. But if I took off my shoe and stuck it in your face, you would probably throw up in your mouth. That just, right? 
You don't want me to take my shoe off. I don't see your foot. My wife loves me and she barely tolerates them. <laughs> That's a comparison issue. And there are two things we learn from this statement right here. Number one, because I am not a hand, that's inferiority. Because if everyone loves the hand, but I'm a foot. Everyone loves this person who can speak well or looks good or plays music or sings well or does this. They're the hands. But God says in my kingdom, there's no inferiority. It does not exist. All right, who's, who's, on, who's 20-ish and teens? Where are you? Come on. This is your high inferiority time. This is your time right now when you're like, oh, my goodness, what do people think of me? If you're already super secure and you know who you are in Christ, praise God, I'm happy for you. But at this time in life, this is when you can feel less than. And the God of the universe says, in Christ, you are not. You are not. You are not. Don't worry about your ability to speak or how you feel in groups or, or this or that. It doesn't matter. When you're in Christ, it doesn't matter if you don't think you're a hand. There's no inferiority. Not only does he say inferiority because I'm not a hand. No one wants to touch Pastor Stephen's foot. I, what does the next statement say? I'm not a hand. And then here's the next step. First, we have inferiority. Then it says, I am what? Not of the body. That's rejection. I don't even belong in this group anymore. I've sinned. I got a divorce. I got marks on my record. I got this. I got that. I don't even belong in this body anymore. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is an absolute lie. Number one in your notes. Inferiority and rejection is the product of comparison. So this is my question. Are you producing that in your life? Is that a fruit that you see? Because God, the loving Father, wants to remove that out of you. He wants no part of it in your life. Christ died to set you free from that. Amen? That is not a fruit Christians produce. Oh, no. We are born of the Spirit. And love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control flows through this body. And I produce fruit that is honorable and pleasing unto him. And you are, God wants you to be free from that in your life. And not only for you, but for the generations to come. Church, how do we produce young people that are free from this? Do we have to be free? Is that right? That's how we produce the next generation to be free from it. That's why God was so big on the children of Israel. You're separating from the world. You're going to teach your children like this. You're going to be God's people because you're going to be dead and gone soon. And there's going to be new generations, and they need that infused into them. Let's keep looking here. Verse 18. But now God has set the members of Israel the members, each one of them, in the body. What are the first, last four words right there? Just as he... Come on, smile. Look at someone and just smile. Pleased. That's an important phrase right there. That's actually one word in the Greek. Man, I wish this language... Okay, all, sometimes the Greek is complicated, but this is amazing. You can leave it up there. 
That's one word, thelo, T-H-E-L-O. The whole phrase, just as he pleased, is thelo. We find it over 200 times in the Bible. Sometimes it means he willed it to happen. But this one specifically means, let me not misquote my Greek, help me Lord, to take delight in and have pleasure in. So it could read each one of them in the body just as he took pleasure in. He loves you. And he takes pleasure in your make and your model and your design. He loves you and he takes pleasure in you. Your construction, your personality, your quarks. He intimately knows you, knits you in your mother's womb. And he loves you and takes pleasure in you as a part of the body. There is no part that he doesn't love. It's his. In our human frailty... And fallenness, there are parts of our body that don't like that so much. That is a human concept. That is not the Christ concept. Is Christ's resurrected body perfection? Was it resurrected in glory and power? Then there is no frailty. There is no, I don't like that anymore. It was set in corruption. It was raised incorruptible. It doesn't exist in his mind or his heart or his thoughts. He loves you. Oh, he rejoices over you. He smiles over you. He takes pleasure in your design, in your design, in your design. He loves it. Number two on your notes. I said already. God takes pleasure, pleasure in your design. This is a tough one in our culture. Ladies, it's probably tougher for you. Do you thank God for who you are and how you're built? Do you thank God for your design? Men, do you thank God and understand that he loves your design and takes pleasure in it? We will deal with inferiority and rejection if we don't know that he takes pleasure in our design, right? If you don't know that you know that you know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and this my soul knows very well, Psalms 138, 139, then you're going to struggle. Let me get some other scriptures to back this up. Psalms 149, 4. For the Lord takes what? That's the Hebrew equivalent of that word. He smiles at. He smiles at. He takes delight and pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with, oh, with what? He's going to clothe them with Christ is what that is. That's a precursor to salvation right there, to the New Testament. He's going to clothe them with salvation. They're going to be a part of the body glorious. There's another one in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians. This is 1.11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill what? All the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. He has joy and delight over you. My children's comprehension of my joy and delight for them is small. 
they just, they're kids. They don't understand. Most of it goes over their head, right? But I more fully understand the joy they are. And so Christ completely understands it for us. So not only does God take great pleasure in us and our design, but you go back to the beginning of creation. Remember the first conversation between the sinless Adam and Eve and Satan. Eve's there, Satan's talking to her. Now think about this. He says, hmm, did God really say you're not supposed to eat that? Because what God knows as he lies to her, he says what? He knows that in the day you eat it, Oh, then you'll finally be right and perfect. Then you'll finally be good. Then you'll actually be the person you're supposed to be, attacking the perfection of God over you. That was the attack on Adam and Eve to pull them into sin. And so it is the same attack, for Christ has made you a new creation and perfect through his blood. Correct? The same attack. You're not enough. Nope. It's not enough. If you would eat that, then you would have knowledge beyond. Then Christ's work would be right. It is always an attack on the identity God has given you. Let's keep going. Verse 21 and 22. I mean, this is a mash together here. Now the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather. Actually, it's the opposite. The opposite. Those members of the body we seem, which seem to be weaker are what? They are necessary. There is no one who functions in health independently. It has never been like that from the beginning of creation. For it is not good that man should be alone. But I will make him a helpmate comparable to him. And go and multiply and replenish the earth. I'm designing you for mutual dependence. I'm designing you to function together. I don't care if you think you're the head or the eye. I mean, hey, the eye's pretty good, right? It's better than a toenail. The eye's nice. That was not in my notes either. Y'all know when I get off, don't y'all? <laughs> no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are greatly necessary. Now, this is the way we all function on some kind of literal scale here. If you say, look, I know who I am in Christ. I've, I don't deal with insecurity as much. It's not an issue of comparison. You feel healthy, right? You're in the middle right there. If you, if, you, if you struggle with those things and you compare and stuff, maybe you, you know, you're over here. But this right here we know is unhealthy, right? People think, well, if I'm right here, no big deal. I'm good. I'm secure. My family's good. I, you know, I know who I am, Christ. That's not the biblical picture. That's not the biblical picture. 
the biblical picture is nothing neutral, nothing, I'm good, everything's fine, we're good by ourselves. That is the prevalent uh, thought in our culture sometimes. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says you are mutually dependent on each other. And if you're strong, then support the weak and pull them up. If you're weak, you won't be by yourself. God's going to put you together. And if you think you can do it all on your own, hold on. That's a bad place to be. Woe is him who falls when he is alone. That's not where you want to be. Number three on your notes. Mutual dependence is a Christian necessity. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not, well, until it gets hard, until someone makes me mad. And that's not this church. What I'm preaching and teaching is we're setting a culture here so that when others come in, this culture is healthy and they can be healed and set free. Because they're coming in broken and hurting. Amen? And they have preconceived ideas and all this. And we say, let me tell you something. We are free in Christ. We have no uh, inferiority, no rejection. We're free in him. He's pleased in me, not because of my righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not because of my work, but his work. And we're mutually dependent on each other because that's the biblical picture. That's what God's called us to be and called us to do. He's done it from the beginning and he'll do it to the end. In fact, the marriage supper of the lamb, we're all together in one place. That is the culture. That's a city on a hill. That's what God wants us to function as day in and day out, as his body representing him on this earth. And then people say, I can be free. This is Christianity. That is the culture we produce of knowing God, growing in community, going near and far. And God will will bring unhealthy, will bring people in, and God will set them free. And God will say, oh, this is the culture. This is what we can do. Oh, this is wonderful. This is what my children can experience. Praise God. Mutual dependence is a Christian necessity. Man, a good illustration would be good right now, a good story. But my theological training is inadequate. Well, I traveled for years and did missions and stories and this and that. And not only have I experienced stories, but then, you know, you meet a lot of people and you hear a lot of stories. I'm going to use their stories. It is not enough. I even got five kids. They are illustration machines. But it's not enough. There is nothing in ourselves that is complete and adequate. But this week, I said, Lord, I just don't have stories. I don't have that. I need you. I need you to be enough. I need you to open up your word to me and show me this. I need you where my intellect fails, where my stories and illustrations, where our weakness meets his divine glory is where the supernatural happens. When we're done with ourselves, for Paul proclaimed, I am made, my strength is, his strength is made perfect in my weakness when I'm done with my abilities. Then we can come to the place of revelation. Listen to me, people. I love you. 
You will never have revelation until you stop trying to produce it in your abilities. It doesn't matter if you're preaching or a plumber or whatever. If you're striving and striving to produce it on your own, to make it happen on your own, you will always be exhausted for one. You will be tired. And you'll never open the door to his supernatural power. He has supernatural power for you. Not because I have to preach and be on the pulpit, but because we are Christians and he wants to empower us. Amen? So let's gaze into his empowerment. Numbers chapter 10, as this will be the story we end with. The children of Israel have been set free from sin, been set free from the bondage of Israel. They have come to the land of Sinai, to the mountain of God. They have received the Ten Commandments. They have spent 18 months being reprogrammed because they've been thinking like a slave for 400 years. You talk about inferiority and rejection. So he reprograms them. They have been detoxed out of the world and been given the manna of God. And they're getting ready to leave. Now in that in-between time, because they're used to grumbling and complaining and having negative attitudes and all this, they had done that. And if you remember, Moses' father-in-law comes from the desert because he misses his grandkids and his wife. And it's not no man travels alone. They usually travel in groups. So Moses' father-in-law has taken his clan and meets Moses there. Remember he gives him that great advice, Moses, you're going to kill yourself and I'm going to have to take care of my daughter again. I've got a dog in this fight, and I'm going to fix this. You need to rate, get people of tens, people of hundreds, people of thousands, and give them power and delegation. You're, you're sitting here all day from sunup to sundown, you're going to die. Moses said, this is a good idea. So that happens. So then Moses is getting ready to pull out, and he's clearly made friends with his, or he knew already, but has respects his brother-in-law. This is his brother-in-law we're about to read. So not only does the father-in-law come, but the family travels together in groups. That was common in the East. And we pick this up, Numbers 10, 29. They're getting ready to head out. Now Moses said to Hobah, the son of Reuel, that is the area they were from. It's, it's his father-in-law. The Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. So he's talking to his brother-in-law. We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give you. We're going to the promised land. We're finally going to be the body he's called us to be. Come with us and we will treat you well. For God, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. We are no longer under that horrible slave. We are free. We are the body of Jehovah God. Do you want to join us? Because I'm going to tell you to be married to the king is a wonderful thing. Do you want to come? Do you want to come? Not only that, verse 30. And he said, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said to him, please do not leave. Inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness... And you can what? You can be a part of the body. Now this is a crazy statement and will mess up your theology a little bit. 
If you read the previous chapter, it talks about the cloud of glory that overcovered them in the day and led them. They followed the cloud and the pillar of fire by night. You're about living a supernatural life. Do you think they need anything? Moses speaks and manna falls from heaven. He hits the rock and the water comes out. He's supernaturally supplying everything. And Moses, did Moses fall apart spiritually? (laughs) We need help in the wilderness. We don't know what to do. No. Moses looks at his brother-in-law and says, It's going to be hard for you to understand this because you're not a spiritual man. But I've been speaking to God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And I know there's a million complaints and a million needs and a million people here. But God is here. And he's not out there. God is with these people. And he has a covenant with us. And if you'll come into this covenant... You will not sleep as much as night because those babies are crying. But you'll be a covenant man. You can live off however you want. But here is covenant people. And if you come under this covenant, God is going to be with you. And your life will be changed. And your little ones with you will be changed. And it's your decision. And he says, ah, this isn't a big deal, this whole spiritual thing and Jesus people. And so Moses, in compassion, but passion, pleads with him. Imagine Moses, the man, bearded, almost falling on his knees. He pleads with him. So Moses said, verse 31. Excuse me, let me finish verse 30. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart by my own land and to my own relatives. Verse 31. So Moses said, please do not leave, inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness. And you can be our eyes. What an unbelievable honor as the hovering Spirit of God hovered over them who created the desert and everything there. And it shall be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be, that whatever good the Lord will do for us, These covenant people, these people that have had the blood applied to the doorpost, it will come over you also if you'll covenant with these people. Whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same he will do to you. Now this is something I never understood about the body. God has all supernatural power for all of the body. The cloud hovers. In fact, the Holy Spirit dwells on each believer. But what people don't understand is when an old bearded man or whoever it is, and the Bible says he was the most humble man on the planet, right? Comes up to you and says, will you walk in the wilderness with us and be our eyes? Will you do this for the body? Will you do that for the body? Will you serve in the local church? Will you do this? Will you do that? It's not because there's a lack of God or lack of his power, but it's the greatest honor of your life. That to be asked to do anything for the king of glory. 
And that's what we don't understand in Christianity. That we complain and gripe when it's the greatest honor to say, would you be my eyes? To do anything for him as a sinner that we would ever complain. Forgive me, Lord. Oh, this church planting thing is hard. And, uh, people don't like me and the sermons are hard. And, uh, uh, the, the carport needs to be cleaned. And, uh, forgive me, God. It is an honor to be asked to do anything for him. We need to understand his place and our place. We need to comprehend it. We need to teach it to our children. And then we need to stop giving excuses and trying to pander to this world. Well, just come and da-da-da. No! It is an honor to serve the king in any way, in any capacity, to be his covenant people. Whether two or ten thousand, it is the greatest honor of your life. Don't ever complain about his people. There's a million reasons why you don't need to be here. You can excuse all you want. And I'm not only talking about Sunday. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your heart. He looks at Hobah. He says, do you want to have a heart with these people, with God's people, with my people? This is where I am. I'm not there. I'm not in the wilderness. I'm not in Egypt. I'm here. And if you want to be with me, you've got to be here. And he says, you get to be the eyes. It'll be the great, this is the greatest honor, young man. You may not comprehend it. You can scarcely imagine the words coming out of Moses' mouth. And that a country years and years down the road would be reading about it. And you get to decide if you want to be with his people. Now that is what it means to be in the body of Christ. And anything else, anything less, is a stink in the nostrils of God. And you need to give him all the glory and the honor due his name. For every little church and big church, every Christian struggling, every one of them, you thank God for the honor of doing anything for them. Amen? Amen. Let's finish this story. So what does he do? He just says, so Moses and them got up and they departed. Did he go? What did he do? Well, we don't even find the answer. And nothing is said about them all the way into the book of Judges, which is usually the way it is. You get to decide if you're going to obey. You get to decide when the Spirit of the Lord or the person of God speaks, you get to decide. And then the fruit is seen generations later. Obedience first, then everything else happens later. Amen? Judges 1.16. Joshua is dead. Remember the difficult time in um, Egypt? Judges 1.16. This is the first thing we hear. Remember they were the Kenites. Now the children of the Kenite... Moses is who? Who is he talking to in our story? His brother-in-law, right? It has to be him. It is not theologically incorrect. It's the children of Moses' father-in-law. It's very clearly expressed. We know this is who this is. They went up from the city of Palms with the children of who? You might know what Judah means. <laughs> They went up with the worshipers. They went to live 
with those who say, Jesus, 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 oh, worthy and holy are you alone. They went up with the worshipers into the wilderness of Judea, which lies in the south of Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And everything's good, and they're growing in the things of God and Judah, you know, all these wonderful things. But life isn't always wonderful. Come on. You can be all Jesus and good and everything's good. And then something, the doctor says, we need to talk. The boss says, I'm sorry, laybacks, lay, um, setbacks or layoffs, excuse me, whatever, right? Please understand because you're with the people of God does not exempt any of us from the fallen nature of this world. Let me show you where it is in 1 Samuel 15. Here's the next time we see these people. So Samuel also said to Saul, now the kingdom is getting ready to start in Israel. And it's the, remember, it's Saul the pure. It's before his fall. It's the first king of Israel called by God, a prophet called to be that person. Samuel also, the great prophet, said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. He didn't want to be a part of the body. He could have been cordial, but he was adversarial, and the judgment of God is coming down on him for what he did. What did he do? How he ambushed, ambushed him on the way when they what? We're back to our story in numbers. Remember, you just plant, and a harvest is coming. So now the judgment of God is coming down on these wicked people. Verse 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Kill Now, now th- look at this. Kill both men and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now I know that messes with your political views. But the sovereign God is perfect in all he does. And judgment is coming whether it comes here through the hand of God or it comes when you breathe your last. It's judgment or mercy. That's what you'll get. Judgment or mercy because of the blood of Jesus. That's what you'll receive. Infant or 100 years old. It doesn't matter. Is that right? Jesus is no liar. Now watch. Just look a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer in his word. Nothing from me. I don't have anything. I don't have anything for you. This is where it is. It's right here. It's right here. And you can have this on Monday and Tuesday. You can close your eyes. The Spirit of the Lord will be there on Wednesday. And He'll strengthen you. Verse 6. Judgment is coming. By the powerful hand of Saul, the prophet Samuel has spoken it. It's coming on those people. It's coming down on them. Just as the God of the universe has a set time when he will return. And there will be no more repentance. There will be mercy or judgment. Then Saul said to who? (laughs) Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites. 
lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel. When what? Now there's a life well lived. There's where you can see it all. You know why you need to be a Bible reader? Because you get to see the story from the beginning and the end. And you'll lose heart if you don't know the story from beginning to the end. But if you know the story from beginning to the end, the Spirit of the Lord will encourage you and speak to you and give you power and strength. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Even though they made mistakes and they were probably too close what they should have been to them. The covenant of God looked down upon them. The old covenant. We've got a better one. Is that right? The old covenant looked down upon them and said, no, mercy. Now that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. Oh, man, that was crazy. Goodness. I need a bigger glass of water. I marvel that I barely scratch the surface of eternity sometimes. That if I'll just stand and look and say, Lord, show me. Show me, Lord. I want to know you. I want to know your heart. What does it really mean to be in the body? What does it mean to be a part of the body? Now, do you understand it better? Do you understand the honor and the privilege of being a part of the body? Do you understand that you were lost in your sins and trespasses and He pulled you out and said, not only am I going to save you, but I'll let you be my eyes? Do you understand the power of your own salvation under Jesus Christ? Can we scarce comprehend it? Amen? Let's come to Him. Come on. Let's come to Him. If you need to repent, repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Ah, gosh, I shouldn't be talking bad. God, forgive me. Lord, you called me to be a covenant people. Oh, God, I was lost in my sin and trespasses. I was, oh, I thought I was free as a bird and I could do whatever and I knew the wilderness and, and I could be, have a successful life and do all this. I had nothing without you, God. And you called me to be with people. Yeah, with struggles and there's issues, but I'm yours. I'm a part of your body. And anything you speak to me to do, oh, the greatest honor it is. And Lord, I recognize that I don't know everything. And there are things that you are calling me to do now. Listen to me, people. There are things that God has called you to do now in obedience. That not only are uncomfortable, but absolutely difficult and painful. They are sacrificial by nature. But the harvest that you will receive comes later down the road in Judges. Moreover, the very mercy your unborn children may need generations into the future, they will find because you have covenant relationships. We're going to worship the Lord. Spend a few minutes with the Lord. Prayer team, you can come up. If you need prayer for something or to re- need to repent for something, or whatever you need.
there is grace here this morning. There's grace here. You know, we don't have amazing services. Sometimes they're just peanut butter and jelly. That's okay. Praise God for it. But if you need prayer for anything, there's grace. There's mercy. Because the king stops the battle and says, I know there's judgment, but wait. Saul goes and says, get out, get out, get out. Come out of those from those people and come to the covenant people. Judgment is coming and you can escape it. Have you escaped the judgment of sin? Have you escaped it? Is Christ your Savior? Come on, let's worship Him. If He's not, come and give your life to Jesus right now. You can come up here and someone will pray with you. Come on. If you need prayer for anything, come up. Let's just worship Him. Worship Him. Worship Him. Oh, you're so good. We didn't understand how big the body was. We didn't understand how great of an honor it is to do anything for you. You are good, good. Oh, you are good. You're good. Oh, say that again. And you are good, good. Oh, you are good.
that even the first time we said, eh, no, I don't want to do that. He'll plead with us because of love. Not because of lack or something he needs, but because of love. He'll even send people to plead with us and say, oh, please be covenant with me. Forgive me if I was too loud. Some people like that. Some people just, their ears hurt. But the reason is, is because this is, as I re- the Lord showed me this this week, The Lord really convicted me deeply for me and all our life and issues and problems and difficulties. We all have them. He says, Stephen, now I love you. But everything I ask you to do, whether it's parenting five, a church, learning how to do things with land and everything else you don't have a clue about and you just don't even want to deal with it, everything I've ever asked you to do is the greatest honor of your life. And if you see it as any different, you do not comprehend me. And so I was deeply moved by the Spirit of the Lord, which we should be, amen? Amen. Not just at salvation, but throughout our lives. So let's surrender anew and afresh to Him right now. Come on, let's surrender to Him. Lord, we surrender. We surrender as Hobah did in the desert, Lord. We surrender. First of all, we thank you for the great honor of being a part of your body. Oh, the body that was broken so we could be a part of it. We have no words. We will just worship you and thank you and work for you. And nothing you ask us to do is too hard because of what your son did. And so, Lord, whatever you ask us to do, we see it as the greatest honor. Whether we're your foot, your hand, your eye, or we are honored to do multiple things in our life. We thank you for it. We surrender to it. It is the greatest honor to represent you, King Jesus, on this earth. Just as your flesh was incarnate, so we can represent you in the flesh. Thank you so much, God. We love you. We praise you. We give you our lives. We thank you for perspective. And that perspective brings peace and joy and strength for everything you've called us to do. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name. And all his people said, amen and amen. Now you praise him. You praise him. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. Have a great day.